Well, church, we're heading towards the end, and as we begin chapter 13 here in the book of Romans, if you turn to Romans 13, again, remind yourself that as we study God's Word together, our intent is to take every chapter, every verse, every principle, every precept, everything that we can learn. As we turn to chapter 13, it should be no surprise to you, or surprise to us as the church, that the great apostle Paul might address how we as the body of Christ are to live amongst the governments of the earth. Because whether we like it or not, whether we have voted for the current form of government or not, God from the beginning has assigned a role of human civil government for the benefit of all mankind, both believers and unbelievers. We as Christians are supposed to be the greatest example of how to come alongside a a government that admittedly, frequently does not act in the benefit of the body of Christ, frequently uh, does not act on the, for the benefit of those of us who have named the name of the Lord. But here is the clearest and the most concise teaching in the entire Bible about the role of civil or human government in the life of a believer. So tonight, Christians in government will take the first seven verses here in Romans 13. Would you join me as we pray and ask God to speak through his word? Father, we again have come to study your word. Lord, to hear exactly what it is that you have to say on this very important subject. And we admit, Lord, uh, there are things going on in our country that are not of you. And we want to know exactly how to respond to them. Uh, We want to know how it is that we should live our lives, given the day and the time that we live in. And so, Lord, we pray that these words would speak to our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us, straighten us out if we need that, Lord. Uh, Bless us with the understanding of what you intended to say through the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit as these words were written some 2,000 years ago. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the first five verses here, and I want you to notice very, very, very carefully that there are no pre-qualifiers to what is being said here. And when I say that, I mean this. And we have to be accurate with the Word of God. It does not say that if the government is a good government. It does not say if the politician is a believer. It does not say that if you agree uh, with the current political climate. There are zero qualifiers when you look at these first seven verses here of Romans 13. So please understand them from that position. It is the intent of the text And here it goes. Verse 1, let every soul 
That word soul is intended to mean 100% of all humanity. Let every soul, believer and unbeliever, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Human government was designed by, instituted by, allowed by, put in place by God. It's there for a purpose. It's there for a reason. And we'll look at that tonight. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. You may have thought that our president got elected by a very slim majority. At the end of the day, God's word is extremely specific with this regard. And while I am not telling you that God himself cast a vote, I am telling you that the appointment of all rulers according to scripture have been appointed by God. And so whether he's done so permissively, in other words, he's allowed mankind a role in this, or whether he has acted on his own sovereignly, human government is an institution that is of God. And so we as Christians have an obligation to be obedient to that which God has ordained and God has put in place. And I want you to notice how this follows. And therefore... Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Ouch. Can I tell you, there's some things that our government's doing right now I'm not too thrilled about. There are some laws that we have on the books that, well, I'll just be open and honest. They're from the pit of hell. They're wrong. The question is, what am I supposed to do about it? How do I go about interacting with a God-designed ordinance that was put there, we're going to find out, for the benefit of humankind? And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good. And you will have the praise from the same. For he is a minister of God's good for you. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And therefore you must be subject to not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. We'll take verses 6 and 7 at the end of tonight's teaching. So hear these clear words to us as the church, but speaking of mankind in general, about how to lead a peaceful life, how to have social coexistence with people on this earth are we agreed that there are evil people on this earth? Are we agreed that good people don't always do good things? And are we agreed that evil people can actually do good things? I think we'd all agree on that, wouldn't we? In other words, bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things. 
Are we agreed that all Christians don't always live the way they're supposed to live? Are we agreed that people who are not Christians can actually live seemingly by Christian principles? That is the function of human government. To bring into alignment God's general good for society when you are dealing with both believers and unbelievers. And I defy you to name me a society that has ever existed on the face of the earth that did not have a government that lasted very long. And the truth is, human government is necessary because good people can do bad things and because bad people can do good things. We do not always respond the way we should. And so God, in his infinite wisdom, institutes human government. He presides over it. And I want to be really, really careful tonight. Because while it is absolutely true and factual that we as a church have been called to be the very best citizens of whatever nation we live on, Wherever we're at, wherever you reside, you are supposed to be the stellar citizen in that environment. It does not mean that everything that every government does is worthy to be followed. And it furthermore does not mean that when we are asked to violate a clear teaching of the Bible that we are supposed to do that. And we'll get into that in a moment. God has left open a couple of exceptions here and we'll get to those things. So we have a bunch of questions that come into our mind, and they're pretty simple to see. You could ask, was the American Revolution sin? Think about it for a second. In light of what we just read, was the, was the, American Institu- was the, was the Revolutionary War sin? You, you see, the legalists might come to the conclusion it was. We broke away from Britain. You see, there's a lot of things we have to think about when we think about human government. Is it okay? Here's one that'll grab you. Here's one that'll get you. Is it okay for us as a nation to engage in overthrowing a despotic government? Pretty big question, isn't it? And the church wrestles with these things. Should we even be engaged in war at all? There are some that say yes, and there are some that say no. Here's one. Should we pay taxes? You all are going, no. (laughs) But is that the real answer? We're going to find out. You see, the Bible is very clear on the role of human government. We have glorious freedoms here, amazing freedoms. And the bottom line is, we who are God's kids have been justified by grace, amen? So at the end of every night, when you put your head on your pillow as a child of God, you go to sleep with the reality that you are actually a citizen of heaven. 
This earth is actually not your home. This is a temporary dwelling place. And this temporary dwelling place is far from perfect. In fact, the Bible says that there is a God of this age and he currently affects the entire world. That will one day not be true when Jesus comes again. He's going to square away the fact that there are despotic governments. He's going to square away every inequity that's ever happened. He will take care of sin itself eventually. And so we have these questions that come to our mind. Should you refuse to pay taxes? Because let's face it, some of your taxes go to pay for abortion. That's a tough thing for us to justify. It's a tough thing for us to think on. And some people's answer is, I'm not paying taxes at all. We're going to look and see if that's the correct way to view this or not. You also have to ask yourself, what is the option? What's the option to no government? What's the option to no taxes? What's the option if God didn't do this, if he had not ordained human government, what do you think this world would look like? Can I tell you it would be infinitely worse than it is today? And you don't have to go very far back into history to realize that's true. Joseph Stalin killed 55 million of his own people to effectively have an oligarchy, a ruling class of people. Now you would think that communism, Marxism, in essence socialism, communism is just a brand of socialism. You would think that a Marxist philosophy might be a good thing. Sounds good, doesn't it? Everybody should do the right thing, right? Everybody gets paid the same. Nobody gets any less than anyone else. How did that experiment go? Anybody know? I traveled through the Soviet Union when it was still the Soviet Union. Mind-boggling, unbelievable unfinished buildings, people living in squalor, absolute poverty. So that whole homogenization of everybody's money and putting it all into one pot and saying everybody's going to get a little bit and, and you'll all get the same amount, let me tell you why that doesn't work. Because the heart of man is evil. You see, if you took man out of it, it might work. But because man's in it, and God knew that man was going to be in it, he has to deal with man because of mankind's position. And that is, there are evil people who will take advantage, who will harm others. God's answer is human government. And sometimes for the zeal of the Christian faith, the church becomes confused. And pretty soon we think we're, the, uh, we're a political wing for God. Can I tell you God doesn't watch Fox News? He doesn't watch CNN. He is not a Republican. He's not a conservative. He's not a Democrat. He's not a liberal. 
He's none of the things that we argue and bicker and fight about. He is the Lord God most high, and he dwells in the heavens. And he is perfect in all of his ways. And one of the things that we must realize is the moment that we make the church a place of nothing but politics, we are going to cease to be able to preach the gospel. While we have a role in being great citizens, what we need to transform is human hearts by the power of the word of God and the gospel of God. That's the actual answer. And so what God does is he separates out these civil things so the church can focus on the gospel. So the church can be busy about our father's business and not about whatever political party is in power. And while I'm saying this, of course there are specific alignments that one might look at and say, well, I think I'm more like this than more like that. Uh, Yes, there are ways that you can take a look at our political world or the things that are going on and say, I'm probably more like that group of people than that group of people. Yes, that's true. But make no mistake, we have been called out of the world and yet we still live in it. Please do not negate your place in this world by arguing consistently and constantly about politics. The answer is not the state house. The answer is not the White House. The answer is God's house. Keep the main thing the main thing. We have to be careful. Because when you alienate people, you lose the ability to preach Jesus to them. When you harm people, you lose the capacity to share the gospel with them. So until the rapture happens, there's not going to be perfect political alignment in this world. But I'll tell you what you can do one person at a time, and that's you can see to it that people have an opportunity to know the Lord Jesus, be saved, and be a citizen of the eternal kingdom, which will be perfect. Amen? In other words, we need the proper balance. It's not that we have to be uninvolved. It's not that we can't be even politicians. I would pray that we would have the entire houses, both houses of Congress, filled with people who love Jesus. We should work to that end, but not at the cost of the gospel. Not at the cost of our biblical authority. The problem is when you make everything about politics, you start to focus in on something that ultimately is not going to solve the problem. We are the most legislated people group on the planet. We are the most legislated people group that has ever existed in the course of human history. We have more laws than all of the other governments that have ever existed that are considered some form of a democracy or republic. We have more laws than anyone else has ever had and the cumulative collection of those laws. 
So it's not because we don't have enough laws. It's because the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked, and who can know it? So we have to have balance. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. And so when you think on these verses, we have to start thinking in a biblical way, not in a conservative way. We have to think in a biblical way, not in a liberal way. We have to think in a way that honors the Lord alone and not in a way that honors a political party. And to that end, as I've shared with you before, I consider myself a Christocrat. I am Christ first all the time, every day. And so when I think of politics, I think of it from a biblical viewpoint. And that is exactly what this passage teaches. Many examples of this very same thing exist in Scripture. Joseph in Egypt is an example of that. Amen? When he got there, he was not exactly a popular dude. He was a Jew in a foreign land. And what he did was fell right in line with Pharaoh's government, except when Pharaoh said, you need to transgress God's law. Daniel is is another example exactly of that. Daniel's in prison. He's wrongly imprisoned. But what does Daniel do? He is a Jewish citizen in a Babylonian world who says, I will obey unless you tell me I have to sin against God. You you see, the issue is that of God's priorities. And we can do that under any type of rule. I can love God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, and you all, the whole world, as my neighbor, like I would love myself, under the worst of circumstances. And when I'm asked to transgress God's law, that is where I say, no, I'm not going to do that. If you tell me that I have to allow a child molester to work in children's ministry, Pastor Jeff's going to jail. (laughs) Going to jail. If you tell me I have to hire a homosexual as a marriage counselor, Pastor Jeff's willing to go to jail over that. Because I would then be forced to transgress the law of God. But until I'm told to do that, I'm going to be a really good citizen. And I'm going to realize the people that pass those laws don't quite have it all together most of the time. But they are trying to do their best. I think we need to be careful, family. I've had a lot of conversations lately with people that think that somehow God's been hijacked by the Republican Party. That's not true. That's a lie. Be careful. Please be very careful. Because when we lose the ability to dialogue with each other, when I can't sit down and hear your heart, why do you think that way? Why do you believe what you believe? 
If my political stance becomes so off-putting as I, I can no longer carry out a kind, discerning, quiet, yet informed discussion with someone, isn't that what our country aches for right now? Would somebody just stop and listen to somebody else instead of shouting and yelling and screaming and name-calling? You see, that's not of God. God says we're supposed to be subject to the governing authorities. Our, our allegiance is to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We are supposed to be kingdom activists. Amen? That's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be kingdom activists. We're supposed to be active about our Father's business. And by the way, that's exactly what Scripture says. It says, go and make disciples. It does not say, go and make Republicans. Or Democrats. Or Independents. It doesn't say, go make political allegiances and alliances. Matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah's time, the the kings of Israel actually got in trouble because they were trusting in horses and chariots instead of the name of the Lord. And so this passage speaks to us in our day and time. Look, the Lord was born into the most autocratic ruling government that's ever existed in the course of human history. One could say the most oppressive government that was ever in the course of human history with regard to Christians. Per capita, more Christians died during the Roman rule than all other people groups combined. But you don't find a single incidence in the entire New Testament where the Apostle Paul or Peter or John or James or Jesus himself turned into a political activist. They simply preached Christ and him crucified for the remission of sin. Because they knew that ultimately if you transform the human heart, then you'll get where you need to go. So as the church, please be careful. Please be kind. Please be respectful. Please be a good listener to every side. Imagine that if our Congress actually sat down and talked with each other instead of yelled and accused one another. Handled it biblically, in a Christ-like way, truly Christ-like. And I realize I'm nearly talking utopian here, but that's what the Lord wants for us as the church. That is the standard. He didn't come to seek and save that which was lost unless they're Democrats. Unless they're for social change in some area. Unless they give up gun control. And I'm going to try and be accurate in in hitting a little bit on both sides because there's some wrong everywhere. Amen? Is there not wrong on both sides of the political equation? I believe there is. I want to sit down and have some coffee. We can talk about it. You know what I'm saying. 
Well, look, anybody that, that claims that you can support abortion and be a Christian, you got a really tough row to hoe. You do. Anybody that tells you that we somehow need to have fully automatic weapons in the hands of every single person in America, you got a tough row to hoe with Jesus. There's wrong on both sides. So let's not get engaged in that. Let's be balanced by the Word of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us a basic standard, and I want you to see this. Just be subject to civil authority. Christianity and good citizenship belong together. Peter said it this way there in 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Is that clear enough? Again, it doesn't say if you agree with them. If they're godly, if they spend your tax dollars correctly, there's a reason for it. Whether to a king as one in authority or to governor sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Do you hear that, family? That you by doing right would silence the mouths of ignorant and foolish men and women. Humankind. Act as a free man, he goes on to say. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. In other words, have biblical worldview. As best as you can, try and input that into your society. Make society aware that there's a right way before the Lord and a wrong way before the Lord but do so in a way that does something for the kingdom. That uses it as bond slaves for God. In other words, sell yourself out for God. Don't sell yourself out for a political party. Sell yourself out for Jesus. Tell people, you know what, I'm for Jesus. Somebody asked me how I vote. I said, I vote for Jesus. I just try and figure out who's closest to Jesus, and that's who I vote for. And if you must know, I am a registered independent. I'll just tell you straight up. I'm a registered independent. I like independence. Why? Because I can vote for Jesus. I don't have to toe some party line. There's a Democrat that's fit for the office. I'm going to vote for a Democrat. Right now, I got, there's, there's stuff going on online. We can't even talk about it. Really? I got brothers who are pastors that would listen to what I just said, and they'd go, no way in this world. Look, I've sat down with some of my Democratic brothers, and I've had some of the most beautiful conversations about some of the social change that's needed in this country. And they love the Lord. And on the flip side of that, I've sat down with some Republicans and thought, I'm not sure you know the Jesus I know. You know why I'm saying this? Because we've got to stop dividing along party lines 
and start serving Jesus. That's why. And I'm not lecturing you. It's what the Bible says. Be subject, but as a citizen of heaven, be in subjection is hupatasso. It's a military term. It means come under rank. It means put it where it belongs. It means you take your role and let the poor guy who's got some civil duty try and help him do his. It's not easy being a police officer. It's not easy being a sheriff's officer. It's not easy being a mom. There are not too many things on this earth that are easy, are there? If you've got an easy thing, let me know. I might try it. Nothing's easy. It's part of the curse. Come out on Sunday nights. We've already learned that. While we're here on this earth, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. But we have an obligation to try and make it as easy as we possibly can. As Paul would write to the his young understudy, Timothy, or in First Timothy chapter two. Every civil authority should be submitted to willingly that entreaties, prayers, petitions, thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for all kings and all who are in authority in order that we might live a tranquil life. Have you prayed for our president? I'll admit he's hard to pray for at times. I don't even know how to pray for him sometimes. You always tell him, Pray that he wouldn't tweet anymore. (laughs) Pray that he'd go back to school and learn English. I'm sorry. But we all get it, don't we? And the reason I'm saying that, this is an example. I'm trying to be an example of what happens to us if we don't do what Scripture says. I need to pray for my president. I don't agree with a lot of the things he says. They bug me but I am obligated to pray for him. I am obligated by the word of God to lift my president before the throne of God and say, Lord, please, in Jesus' name, help him today. Because the decisions he makes will affect you. And so you can either pray for him or you can curse him and complain about him. Now you know why I said what I just said. You see how easy it is? I don't like what he's... I hate his tweets. I loathe them. But there are things that our president is doing that is good. There's things our Congress is doing is good. There are things our senators are doing is good. There are things our state house is doing They're good. So we're supposed to lift them up and pray for them. All of them. All of them. Every last one of them, and it doesn't say whether you like them or not. You understand? Every one of them. So if you want something changed, pray for them. Because God's the one that can change. Sure, we have to speak against sin. Absolutely against ungodliness. We have to stand for righteousness. That's part of our calling as believers as well. 
but we do so within the respect of civil law and within the guidelines that our country affords us. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing, if necessary, to go to jail for righteousness? Only for righteousness with this regard. You see, the problem is a lot of people aren't. A lot of Christians aren't. They just simply want to complain. Doesn't do any good. Praying does good. A lot of wonderful things are going on. It's hard. Can you imagine what it's like to be the president of the United States? I remember watching our previous president age right before our eyes. When President Obama was elected, he had nice dark hair. When he left, he was grayer and had less hair than I do, and that's bad. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? It's not easy. Are you praying for our governing officials? Are you doing what Titus 3 says? I'm reminding you, there in verses 1 and 2, be subject to the rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Ready for every good deed. Malign no one. Be uncontentious, gentle, showing consideration for all men. Whether you like them, whether you like what they're doing, whether you think everything they're doing is correct, you you see, that's the basic standard. We all have some places that we need to improve in that area. I know I do. Readily admit it. There are times I'm like, Mm, please don't do that again. Don't say that again. It's the example there in the book of Daniel. You all know it. There's four young Jewish men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, they, they could have just jumped right in and lived like kings, really. They did speak up. So it's not a matter of not speaking up. They spoke up so much that we will not defile ourselves with the king's delicacies. But what were they willing to do? They were willing to go to jail if necessary to stand for the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But they didn't do it in a violent way. They did it in a nonviolent way. They said... If we have to, we'll go to jail. If we have to, we'll die for the truth. But we're, we're not going to bow. And we're not going to do what you tell us to do. So think about the balance of that basic standard. They stood against what was wrong. But they stood against what was wrong the right way. Make sure we do that, family. That's the one exception. That's the one exception. That's Daniel's example. That's the midwives in the land of Pharaoh. We want you to go kill all the firstborn. Now we're not doing that. 
not happening. You can kill us. But we won't do that. So the exception is, we're to follow our leaders until they tell us to transgress the word of the Lord. And that's not talking about your interpretation or mine of what the word of the Lord is. That is the plain teaching of God's word. Then you have to take a stand. But you also have to take a stand and be willing to go to jail for it. Be willing to do what's necessary. It, it doesn't say, you know, go after the president. It doesn't say go after a senator. It doesn't say harm anyone. Those examples were people that are willing to go to jail themselves rather than transgress the law of God. So when you reach that place, that's your choice. Peter and John themselves in Acts chapter 5, remember what they were told there? We studied this not long ago. They were given strict orders. Do not teach in the name of Jesus. What did they do? Turned right around and taught in the name of Jesus. They were thrown in jail. The Apostle Paul ended up in jail numerous times for teaching the name of Jesus. You see... Because to deny his name is very contrary to the word of God. But that's the exception. Pay the consequence. Pay the penalty. Do whatever you've got to do if you're asked to transgress the word of God. But do so in a way that honors the Lord. A lot of Christians do things that don't honor the Lord. You know, there, there, is, there's, there are some who have shamed the name of the Lord in some of these things that we wrestle with as a nation. Because they've handled them in an ungodly way. And instead of giving the Lord a platform from which to speak, people have said, if that's what your God does, I don't want anything to do with it. Peter's answer there in Acts 5 was, we must obey God rather than men. That's our call, family. To put all this together, the Apostle Paul here gives us the purpose, gives us several things. As you look at these first five verses, notice what they are. Governments by divine decree. It came from God. So whether you and I like it or not or think that it's doing its job or not or, you know, is making all the right decisions or not or spending our tax money wisely or not or is even worse than that, despotic or, you know, reaches that place to where it's even oppressive, government itself was actually instituted by God. Be very careful because the other option is not good. It's chaos. It's lawlessness. Can I tell you that even the Romans brought the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The Romans had the most codified set of laws that had ever been seen at the time. 
that included a fair trial, that gave you the right to travel along Roman roads without being robbed, that in fact if you retired from civil service, you were taken care of. So you can kind of see at the same time the same group of people that had Roman soldiers push Christians into the Colosseum to fight to the death with wild animals also still managed somehow to do some good. So God says, I decreed that there's going to be human government because the human heart is wicked. And if I don't restrain it by human government, it will even be worse. A second thing, resistance to government is actually resistance against God. Except for the one exception. Make sure that you keep this in proper context. If the government's not asking you to directly transgress God's law, God's word, God's clear teaching, then we are supposed to submit to that authority. And here's why. There's probably not ten of us in this room that agree on everything about anything. Amen? Pick a subject. Well, I think a double-double with the grilled onions is better. We'd have the non-grilled onion people and the, the people with double cheese and the ones with no sauce and there'd have to be a tomato on one and somebody else doesn't like tomatoes and we couldn't even agree on the beauty of a double-double. <laughs> what do you think's going to happen when it comes to taxation? Do you think we have any chance in the world knowing the wickedness of your own human heart? Because I'll tell you how it goes for me. I want you to pay the taxes and me to get them. <laughs> and that's pretty much how we think, isn't it? Most people actually want more rather than less. So if that's not restrained, what do you think happens? You have exactly what happened with Stalin. He follows Marx's leanings and says, you know what? We'll just make this wonderfully utopian society where everybody gets a piece. And not only did everybody not get a piece, you ended up with a ruling class of people who controlled everything. The same has been true throughout human history. Government's there for a reason. So when they got rid of the government and had a ruling class of people, it even got worse. As hard as that is to believe. And you can look back at the course of human history and go to the Carthaginians and the Medes and the Persians. You know, even, even the Chinese, the Japanese, a peaceful people that believe in pacifism, were once a warring people when the shoguns ruled the countryside. You had a group of people that now controlled everything. And the meaner you were, the more you had. So God institutes government. Rebellion against its rebellion against him. When you resist government, you're going to pay a price for it. Might be you go to jail. You want to see it in action? Drive 95 miles an hour down the Harbor Freeway. You're resisting human government. You're going to see, you're going to be pulled over, and you're going to have to cough up some of your bank account. Why? Because having been an EMT, I've rolled up on accidents, high-speed accidents, and pulled people out of cars and held dead children in my hands 
because some knucklehead thought they could drive 95 miles an hour down a freeway. So we have laws. They're pretty imperfect. And when I'm heading out towards Utah, I I like that 85-mile-an-hour speed limit where everybody does 100. (laughs) But that's not working real well right out here, is it? You see, God ordained those. Government exists to restrain evil. As imperfectly as that happens, it's still better than no restraining of evil. You know, when you pick up the phone, chances are if you live in the general area, you pick up the phone, you're going to have law enforcement at your door five to ten minutes at the very most. That's pretty important when you're being robbed. Now, I can tell you that not every time that that happens, it goes good. But it's better than the alternative. It's better than the alternative. The government does actually restrain evil. Government promotes good. As much as it doesn't promote good perfectly, it still does promote generally good. If you don't think it's good here in the United States, I want you to come with me on a couple of missions trips. If you don't think we have it good here, I can take you to a few places where you'll recognize that very quickly, that we have it good here. And you know the crazy thing is? I can take you to some places that you will think are bad but are actually still good. Because I can take you to other places where it's even worse. And then I can take you to another place where it's even worse than that. I've stood on top of a hundred foot high trash pile and watched people pick dead bodies out of that trash pile because they got buried alive digging for a meal. That's what happens when you don't have government. When people just take advantage of each other. So before you get down on government, you might want to think about the reality of what it looks like if we didn't have it. God said, I put it in place. That's why those, ro- those rulers are empowered by God to, in- to hand out some punishment if necessary. And again, I'm not talking about the perfection of government in implementation. I'm saying they have a role. That's what the Bible says. Government has a role in punishing evil. Interestingly enough, for those of you who have traveled to Washington, D.C., you know this. If you get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., I want you to go around the Supreme Court building, and you're going to find somebody on one of the frescoes up in the top of the Supreme Court building standing dead in the middle. Guess who he is? It's Moses and the Ten Commandments. When you enter the justice chambers, on the doors, Ten Commandments. Reason being, our laws were fashioned in a mosaic sense. That the punishment was supposed to fit the crime, that it was always to be fair, that it was to be just, that no one was to be incarcerated forever. Our prison system's a mess. Our prison system is a mess. It was never designed. We have more incarcerated people than the whole rest of the world. And it's wrong. Because the Bible says that a person who commits a crime 
ought to have the opportunity to make restitution, not keep them incarcerated forever, unless it's a capital crime. That's why it says they don't bear the sword in vain. Whether you're pro-capital punishment or not, God instituted it. It was to be that sword of Damocles that hung over society and said, if you don't think that there's a consequence to your action, government itself has the opportunity to carry that out. You may not like it. There are actually five things there within the mosaic structure of laws. It's a matter of justice. Every human being is entitled to justice. Punishment was supposed to be a deterrent to crime. But not a weighty oppression, just simply a deterrent. The law was supposed to be impartial. Treated everyone the same, whether you were a king or a commoner. Treated everyone the same. The Old Testament, if you were a a murderer as a king, you got the death penalty. There was no special class of people. You couldn't buy your way out of it. You were in trouble with God. And the civil government was supposed to act on God's behalf by instituting equal justice under the law for everyone. That's how our country's laws were founded. And now we have this mess. But this mess is still better than everywhere else. Punishment was administered without delay during that time as well. They didn't incarcerate people for 20 years. They deserved to be incarcerated. Can I tell you that the Jewish people didn't even have prisons? Did you know that? The Jewish people had no prisons. None. So effective was the system of laws laid out by God through Moses that you paid a price. If you had a crime that you committed, your first act of repentance was restitution, not incarceration. That's what God's word says. Maybe we ought to rethink the way we do things. That'd be a good thing to work on as a country. And with the exception of a capital crime, the Old Testament law provided for a pardon, a rehabilitation, and a reintegration back into society as a full-fledged member of society. That's what we're supposed to be doing, folks, as far as the Bible's concerned. We need to look at that. This is what we as Christians should believe, because what the Bible says. Imagine if the truth of all of that was worked out in our country. And finally, notice the last couple of verses here, and we'll wrap this up. And I want you to see it in its entirety. For, because of this, what's the this? Government. Verse 6. You also pay taxes. So the point of paying taxes is so that the government can largely keep us safe. The government can make sure that evil doesn't reign. That the government can provide general safety for most people that people won't take advantage of others. There is a crime, it's handled fairly. 
that people are not incarcerated indefinitely, but reintegrated back into society once they've paid their debt. For this you pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. So it says, should we pay taxes? You remember a little incident with Jesus? He was asked the same question, should we pay taxes? What did Jesus do? He went fishing. Pulled out a fish, two copper coins, one for me, one for you. He rendered unto Caesar those things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Here's the crazy thing. Everything's God's. And if he is an ordained civil government and we give money to the civil government, whose money is it still? It's God's, isn't it? Do you not think that God's big enough to take care of civil governments? Of course he is. I think some of the time our problem is we don't trust God to do what God can do. We try and solve it by political means instead of means of prayer and power and passionate pleading before the Lord. And that's really what God asks us to do. Verse 7, render therefore to all their due. Taxes, to whom taxes are due. Customs, to whom customs are due. Fear, to whom fear is due. And honor. To whom honor is due. So as the church, we should be the best citizens there are. We should be praying for everyone all the time, including people that we may disagree with. Including people that maybe we really disagree with. We should be kind and gentle and meek, and humble, and respectful, and pay our taxes on time. I know some of us are in here, we're squirming right now. And I get it. It's hard. We, we see things going on and say, well, I'll just teach them. The Bible says pay your taxes. It's what it says. And here's the sad part. You can choose to believe it and be blessed. Or you can disbelieve it, do your own thing, and God's going to chasten you. It's not going to be better because you disobey. This passage says so. It says that the governing officials are a thing to fear for the evildoer, the one who does not do the right thing. They're not a fear to those of us who love the Lord. You see, God can make up any taxes I pay. And he can keep those taxes from going places they shouldn't go. He's more than able to do that. And if we do our part the right way, the results are in God's hands. We can just release it to him and say, I did my very best as a citizen. Blessed to be a citizen of this country. as crazy as some of the stuff we go through is, as badly as we need change, 
There are some social injustice issues that we are facing in this country that need to be addressed right now. Pray to that end. But don't make them worse. When you have a chance to speak on them, speak in a way that honors the Lord. And let God sort out the details. And if we don't get an answer right away, he is going to answer from heaven one day because he's coming again. And that's where our hope and our trust lies. Our hope is not in this earth. It's in the return, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And so everything we do, everything we think, the way we vote, the, what we do, where we have obligation, uh, we should be doing it to the glory of the Lord as great citizens of this country. Amen? Father, thank you for the power of your word. And and Lord, I want to just ask, God, I I know that there are some. I probably afflicted a few tonight. It wasn't my heart. It's not my intention. God, sometimes we think about, we worry about, we concern ourselves with things that are not fruitful. And so, Lord, I pray for fruitfulness for us as a church, as a body of believers. Lord, would you use us for your glory? Would you help us to have respect for those in authority? And, Lord, where they're not worthy of that respect, would we even express our disrespect in a respectful way? It's what your word says. If we're forced to choose between you and and a law. Lord, if we're asked to transgress your law, help us to be bold and suffer the consequences for it. Help us to be a great witness of that right kind of civil civil disobedience if it's necessary. Lord, help us to stand when other people bow. Help us to love when other people hate. Lord, help us to, to proclaim your name by being Christians first. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.